0: Good morning, Rocky Peak. It's uh, great to see you as we kick off this Christmas season together. I hear it's pretty hot out there right now. Is that right? Yeah. I was up really early this morning. Uh, I got up about 5 this morning and it was 39 degrees out. And so uh, the last service I said, Isn't it great that it's so cool out? You know, it feels like it's finally Christmas. And they texted me after the service, It's like 80 degrees out here. It's like, Oh, I guess I had that in my mind still from early this morning but anyway my name is Michael I'm one of the pastors and if it's your very first time here whether you're here in the worship center or joining us out in the warm outdoors uh, we're glad to have you here it's, uh, we're looking forward to this time of teaching so uh, inside your program is a message note sheet it's green and white we use it every week but if you're new you may not know that so I encourage you to take it out because it will definitely help you follow along So if you guys are ready to go I'm ready to jump in you guys are ready to go let's go and Father, we're excited to be here. I know I'm excited about this passage. That there's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible uh, that really lays out some incredible truths that are just are life-changing. And so, Lord, we pray that as we go into it today, I pray that you'd help me. My words will be clear. It's going strength, energy. My voice would be strong. I pray that for us as a church, we'd gather around the Word and really hunger and thirst for what you'd say, we'd be ready to listen, to follow, you'd speak to us according to our need and where we're at in our walk. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Well, once upon a time, a long time ago, in a land far, far away, there was a little boy, and he grew up with a dream. It's a dream that some of you share today, to one day own his own vineyard. <laughs> and uh, so as he grew up, he paid careful attention to how you, how you kind of uh, take care of grapes, how you do that sort of thing. And when he became a young man, and began to put his money away. He began to save for the day that he could buy the plot of land. And finally, after many years, he'd saved up enough money and he bought this perfect plot of land. Now. It wouldn't have been perfect for most agriculture because it was on the side of a hill. But for a, a vineyard, it would work fine. He got it at a reduced price. And so as a result, he began to jump in and begin to labor and do the hard work that it would take to turn this, this rough ground into a beautiful vineyard. And so he started by removing all the rocks, big, small. He wanted to get the, the ground uh, just really right for the, to plant the grapes and once he had done all that hard work, backbreaking labor really, he planted, he purchased, and he planted the grapevines. And of course, he knew that it would take several years before these, these grapevines would grow up and produce a bountiful enough harvest to make his first wine. But in the meantime, he didn't mind because he had a lot of things to do. And the first thing he did is he built this tall tower. Uh, on top of his property where he could see over the entire vineyard so that when the time of harvest came and sometimes thieves might come or wild animals would, would try to get in and eat the grapes, that he'd be able to defend his vineyard. And then after that, he finished that, he built, a, he built a wine press so he could process the wine right there on his own property. And then after all this tender loving care he'd given, he settled down to wait. For the fulfillment of the dream that he'd had since he was a little boy. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in forever uh, that's called uh, Signs. And for those of you who are brand new, and every week we have new people joining us. So for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. Uh, this is a series about Jesus. In fact, it's an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus. But as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, uh, a man that was named John, we call him today the Apostle John. And uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've entered into this second major sub-series of signs. We call it Signs of uh, the Path Forward. And this entire series takes place uh, on the last night that Jesus is with his men at the Passover meal. As he prepares him for his uh, soon, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be executed. Uh, he's going to be arrested that night, executed the next day. He's kind of preparing them for that. The entire series looks at these four chapters where he prepares them. This is his final teaching, chapters 13 through 16. Now, if you were here last week, uh, Dre did a great job as he uh, opened, it, opened us up into One of the most famous passages of teaching from the life of Jesus, it was a word picture. It's a metaphor analogy where he said, I am the vine and you as my followers are the branches. And that when I leave, the key to your success, the key to your bearing fruit is that you stay connected to me. You remain in me in the same way that a a branch, the great branch is connected to the vine. Now, as Dre pointed out last week, this image of Israel being God's vineyard was very common in the the writings of the prophets, the psalmists. For example, if you were here last week, Dre highlighted a beautiful psalm, Psalm 80, where Israel is compared to God's vine. Um, Today, I want to call our attention to another passage in the Old Testament that does the same thing, where Israel is called the vineyard of God, and it's in Isaiah chapter 5. And this actually takes us back to the story that we started the day with, about this young boy with a dream that one day he would own his own vineyard. Uh, This comes from Isaiah, it's kind of my version of Isaiah chapter five, where God speaks to the nation of Israel. And in this parable that God tells, God is the farmer, Israel is the land. And, and God says that, you know, I, I, I brought you into this land and I cleared out the stones and I planted the, the vines and I built the watchtower and I built the wine press so it would all be ready uh, for you to produce as a nation this beautiful wine. But he says the reality is, is instead when I came to look for good fruit, there was no good fruit. And what we see is that in the Old Testament, though, Israel is often compared to a vineyard or a vine. There's never one time when it's a positive comparison. In every case, Israel fails to produce the the fruit or the the vine, the wine that God is looking for. In fact, there in your note sheet, this is how that story in Isaiah 5 ends. Uh, God says that the vineyard of the Lord, and of course, whenever we see Lord in all caps, what does that mean? Yeah, Yahweh. So the vineyard of Yahweh Almighty is the nation of Israel. He says, Israel is my vineyard. Earlier he talked in this parable about how he had cleared the stones and built the watchtower and and built the, uh, the wine press, just like in the opening story. But he says uh, the people of Judah are the vines. Notice that language—the vines he delighted in—and so he looked for justice. So God came to his vineyard, looking for great fruit. And in this analogy, so I'm looking for uh, uh, social justice. You know, not, not as it's often used today, but like justice. You know, uh, in the court system, uh, uh, justice, kind of righteousness in the land, where uh, people aren't oppressing the poor and that sort of thing. And he says, so I looked for justice, but I saw bloodshed. I saw violence. Uh, and I, saw, I looked for righteousness, but I heard cries of distress. And so this nation that God had brought into the land and that he had tended as if they were a vineyard in order to produce great fruit, to be an example of here's what happens when a people follows the Lord and just this beautiful society that because of their rebellion, as we'll see later, that they had not borne good fruit. And so what I want you to catch again is that uh, this vineyard analogy, Israel being the vineyard of God or the vine of God, it runs throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it was such an important picture of the nation of Israel that on the beautiful temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, at the front of, the front of the temple were these huge cluster of golden grapes that had been put there as a picture of the nation of Israel. And so it's against this backdrop of uh, one of the most powerful images, like you think in the United States, the image of maybe the eagle or something. That the image of the vineyard was, was the nation of Israel. It's against that that Jesus says last week, I am the true vine. Israel has been the false vine, the vine that never produced good fruit, but, but I, as the Messiah, will be the true Son of God, uh, kind of the new Israel, launching this new movement. And whoever abides in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. They'll be transformed, and this fruit will bring glory to my Father. And so um, today, this raises the question... Last week, Jesus said, if we want to bear much fruit, that we have to abide or remain in the vine. But the question is, how do we do that? What does it look like as followers of Jesus to remain or abide in the vine? And that's the question Jesus is going to answer today. In a sense, the first eight verses of this passage that Dre covered last week really kind of give us the analogy, but it's the next verses that kind of uh, explain uh, in common language what he was kind of explaining that the picture or the analogy. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, they're in your note sheet. There's a section called The Vine, Staying Connected. And we're going to pick up the uh, Jesus teaching at verse 8, where we left off last week. So in verse 8, you know, Jesus has just said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected, you'll bear much fruit. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so what I want you to catch first of all is that when a man or woman comes to to Christ, that Jesus always has a vision for our life. And it's a vision of fruit bearing, uh, of deep transformation of our life uh, that would lead to us being people of impact in the world. Uh, And as a result, then the world would get to see who the Father is through our lives, and we would see that we're truly his disciples because of this transformation that's happened. And so now in verse 9, he begins to talk about how, how this is going to work. How do we remain in the, in the vine? So he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So don't miss that. Jesus says, hey, the same way my, my Father loves me, I love you just as much. Like that, My love for you is like his love for me. And then he says, uh, now remain in my love. Now, I want you to underline that word remain. And the reason is, do you remember last week where in the analogy, Jesus said that if you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. The question is, what do you mean to remain? Well, here he explains it. To remain in him is to remain in his love to remain in a place where we can experience his love. It's the same exact work in Greek. as the remain in the branches, the remain in he So he's, a, he's saying that when I talk about remaining in me as the vine, I'm talking about remaining in this love relationship where you can experience my love and power and transformation in your life. So the question is, well, then how do we do that? How do we remain in your love? And he says, well, here's how. Verse 10, if you keep my what? Command. If you keep my commands we're going to see this often today. If you listen and follow what I've told you, if you keep my commands, then you will remain in my love. Catch this, just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. So Jesus, here's how it works. If you want to remain in my love, this love relationship, you just listen and follow what I've taught you. In fact, it works the same way your relationship with me works the same as my relationship with my father. And we've seen this all through the Gospel of John, haven't we? That Jesus' top priority is always to know, to love, to please his Father. In fact, back in John chapter 8 and verse 29, you might want to write that down for later. It's not on your note sheet. But in 829, Jesus said, the Father is always with me because I always do what pleases him. And so what Jesus says is, hey, your relationship with me works like my relationship With my father. I've listened and followed him, and so we've remained in this love relationship. That's the way it works for you as well. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Now I've told you this. Uh, What does he mean by this? Well, what he's been telling us the whole chapter, this whole illustration of the vine and the branch bearing fruit, remaining in him, remaining in his love, uh, obeying his commandments. There's the key to that. He says, I've told you all of this so that my joy may be in you. Now, I want you to catch that. I think it's one of the most powerful statements Jesus ever makes. He said, the reason I've come, the reason I've taught you all of this is because I want you to experience my joy, the joy that you were created as a race to experience. And then he goes on and, and says, I want you to, to experience my joy. But he says, uh, and so that your joy may be what? Complete, or the, the word in Greek, just full, overflowing, you know, filled to the top. And so Jesus says, Uh, Remember he said back in chapter 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. In many ways, this is saying the same thing. or something very similar, that that I've come that you might have my joy, to restore your joy as a race. Verse 12, now he goes back to this thing of command. Remember, he just told us that the key to remaining in his love was to obey his commands. But now he tells us, here's what I mean by that. Here's my top priority. He says, my command is this that you love each other as I have loved you. Now, that's not the first time he said that in this evening, is it? Uh, I don't know if you remember, but back at the start of this sub-series, back in chapter 13, you remember Jesus washed their feet, and then he said, a new command I give you that you would love one another as I have loved you. And he said, and this is how everyone will know that you're really my disciples. They'll love you. So like a good teacher, he is kind of going back and reviewing what he's told them earlier in the evening, but he's using a different metaphor. Uh, and instead of like the washing of feet, now he's uh, talking about a remaining in the vine. But the message is the same. This is my top priority. We'll come back to that Later. And now he talks about what true love looks like. And as we've often talked about before, true love is about seeking someone's best interest. And uh, it's often laying down our life for their best interest. And so he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. And of course, that's what Jesus is about to do for them. They don't know that. But he says, you are my friends if, and there's a big if there. So let's underline that or circle it. Or if you're Dre, highlight it. Hey, if you are my friends, if you do what I command. So it's the second time he's said this. He said, if you want to remain in my love, then you need to obey my commands. And here he says it in a different way. You are my friends uh, if you do what I command you. And then he says in verse 15, you know, I no longer call you servants. And in the Greek, the word is literally slaves there. Uh, I no longer call you servants or slaves because uh, a servant doesn't know his master's business. And so in the ancient world, you know, if you had slaves, um, you wouldn't ne- necessarily tell them all the wives. They're not like part of your inner circle. You just tell them what to do. He says, but, but we're moving into a new level of relationship. So this last night Jesus is with them. he's beginning to share more more of his heart. And, of course, this will continue after his death and resurrection with the coming of the Holy Spirit. As he said back in chapter 14, the Father and and I will come and live with you. And so there's going to be a new level of intimacy between Jesus and his disciples. And he says, and because everything I learned from the Father I have made known to you. Now he says something interesting. He says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. That's why I chose you, fruit that will last in the Lord's for eternity." And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is interesting. Jesus says, um, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, of course, if they're if you're them, they're like, what are you talking about? I chose you. Uh, remember back in chapter 1 where they were followers of John the Baptist, and then they chose to follow Jesus instead. Uh, in the other gospels, we looked at this early in the series. There was times that later on in their life, Jesus called them to leave their nets and their careers and their families, and they chose him, right? So they would be conscious of those choices. But Jesus says here's the thing. Remember what he said back in John chapter 6 and verse 44? He said, No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so the reality is, whenever we choose Jesus, it's because beforehand, Jesus has chosen us. And so uh, this, in in scripture, you always have these two things held together, God's choice and our choice. It's not one or the other, it's a both and. And how that works out, there's always some mystery there. But Jesus says, yeah, I know you chose me, but hey, the important choice is that I chose you. I chose you long before you chose me, that's why you chose me. And he says, on top of that, I chose you to be fruitful. And I I just want to stop here for a second and, and have you just reflect on that for a minute. If you're a follower of Jesus, as we see all through the Bible, it means you've been chosen before time. And not just chosen, but be chosen to be fruitful. Chosen to experience life transformation, become like Jesus, and to make an impact in the world. Amen? And that's a beautiful thing. And so he he says in that, but notice what he also says. He says, and so I've chosen you to bear this fruit, he says, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is something that Jesus has said so many times this last night of his life. Uh, At least three or four times he will say this. Uh, He said it back in chapter 14, where he he said, whoever believes in me, they will do even greater things than I have done. And then immediately he says, so whatever you ask in my name, you'll be done. So one of the ways that we partner with Jesus to bring his kingdom to earth, one of the most important ways is through prayer. This is one of the reasons why it's so important that regular prayer is part of our life because it's in prayer that we ask the kingdom that we bring the kingdom of God to earth. Remember how he taught us to pray? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is. And so when we partner with Jesus in our life and our families in our workplace and our nation in the world, one of the things that prayer is, is we're partnering with him so that we, we bring the kingdom. And he says, this is one of the ways that you're going to bear fruit. And then he ends up, he wraps up this section by going back to this command again. He said, Remember that the key to our growth is our obedience. But he said, This is my command. Uh, wrap it all up. He says that you would love each other. All right? Now, what I want to do is we've laid out the last couple of weeks the outlines, the, the flow of this passage, if you will. I'm the vine, the true vine. Uh, unlike Israel of the past, I'm the true vine. And uh, as we move forward, the key to your future, the key to your success, bearing fruit, is staying connected to me. And the key to your connection is that listening and following. And the most important thing when I talk about listening and following is loving one another. And if you do that, that will lead to my Father's glory, your fruitfulness, and great joy. All right, so that's, that's the flow. Now, what I want to do today is I want to highlight just quickly three what I'm calling life changing lessons that jesus is laying out for us today And there in your note sheet you have a section called the vineyard three life-changing lessons and i want to be really clear that i have chosen these words life-changing lessons very carefully uh these are not hyperbole Uh, i'm not exaggerating to make a point or get your attention One of the things I've told you throughout this series is to me some of the best teaching in all the Bible about who God is, who we are, how our relationship works, some of the best teaching in all the Bible is in John 13 through 16, this current series we're in. This is another one of those examples. That today Jesus is laying out for us three truly life-changing principles that to the extent we believe him and to the extent we buy in, our life will be changed. And that uh, as we grow, uh, one way to measure our spiritual growth is by the extent to which we believe him and buy into these three principles. So to the extent that we buy in, our lives will be changed. They're really that important. So just because of time today, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. I don't think it's really even necessary. They're fairly simple. They're just incredibly profound. And then after we lay out the the three principles, I'm going to come back and ask three key questions, one question for each principle to do some application and some self-evaluation in our life. So there on your note sheet, you have this section, as I mentioned, The Vineyard, Three Life-Changing Lessons. Let's jump in. The first lesson that Jesus highlights for us is that obedience is the key. You say, well, what do you mean? Obedience is the key to what? It's the key to everything. It's the key to remaining in the vine. It's the key to remaining in his love. It's the key to bearing fruit. It's the key to our joy. It all goes back. He keeps saying this over and over. Now, earlier today, I mentioned that when Jesus talked about love, that like a good teacher He'd already talked about this once earlier, back in chapter 13. And in a similar way, Jesus is not only going to talk to us about obedience here in chapter 15, he's already talked to us about it once back in chapter 14. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple weeks ago, we talked about the coming of the Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm leaving, in chapter 14, verse 15. He said, I'm leaving, but don't worry, I'm sending someone to take my place, another person. Paraclete, a paracletus, remember this advocate, helper, counselor, mentor who's going to lead you, guide you, and empower you to live this new life and to carry out the mission I've given you. And I don't know if you were here that week, but if you were, you may remember this that three times in that short passage, Jesus said the key to experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit was our obedience. Three times he said, hey, uh, one of the times Judas uh, said, hey, why is it that some get to experience the Spirit and others won't get to to know him? And he said, it's it's all about who loves me. It comes out that those who love me will uh, experience the presence and coming of the Spirit in their life. And so there in chapter 14, uh, I put one of the three times he said this. But there in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So remember we talked about the mark of love is, uh, is obedience. And he said, and, and because of that, my father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Right. So he's already been saying this. That, that this relationship with Jesus, where the Holy Spirit comes to lead and guide, where the Father and the Son come to indwell our life, Jesus says, That's only for those who love me. So, for example, uh, I know this weekend at Rocky Peak, I know of at least three weddings that took place this weekend of young couples. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, a young man uh, working up, you know how proposals are really elaborate today, like they take like months of planning, coordination, you know, um, back in my day, it's like, hey, what do you think? Yeah, okay, let's go. Uh, now, now we've got people video there, we've got cameras, we've got Instagram things going, uh, people hidden in the bushes, um, got music in the background, wine glasses, sunset, you know, it's amazing. Um, we've come a long way. Um, but can you imagine a young man going down on one knee to, to, his, uh, to this woman he loves and says, I love you with all of my heart. And I want to offer you my entire life that we would be together forever. Would you be my wife? And for her to say, I would love to, but do you mind if I keep two of my boyfriends? <laughs> like he would just like uh, close, up the, close up the case, right? It's like, well, no. No, I'm not going to give you myself if you're not offering yourself back. What I'm offering you is this relationship of love. It's exclusive. Right? And so what Jesus says is that those who receive his spirit, those who experience the presence and power of God, are, are those who love him. Like it's not for everybody. And he says, and the way I tell whether you love me is do you listen and follow what I So he's already told us that back in chapter 14, but here again, now we have a different analogy, the vine and the branch remaining in his love. But look what he says here on your note sheet. He says this twice in this short passage in 1511. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then what does he say next? If you keep my commands you'll remain, and my love is the key, I mean, obedience is the key, and he says, uh, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love, and then the next passage there, he talks about this friendship he's inviting them into, he said, you are my fr- friends if you, what? Yeah, a little bit louder, it's 11 o'clock. Uh, it, yeah, if you do what I command, right? Uh, I mean, nine o'clock can get away with that. I'm telling you, but eleven o'clock, I expect a little bit more. You know, it's like set the bar up here. So he's yeah. Twice Jesus says, um, "Hey, the way you bear fruit, the way you stay connected, is through your love for me. But the way that we measure that is by your listening and following. All right. So that's so that's the first the first principle that the key to all of us. Uh, this bearing of fruit, this remaining in his love, uh, being his friend, uh, is obedience. Number two, the second principle that is that love is the priority. So obedience is the key, but when Jesus talks about obedience, he makes it very clear more than once in this final evening that he's talking about living a life of love for one another. And so we, we saw this, of course, you know, earlier, right, in John 13, Wash your feet, that by this all men will know a new command I give you. You love one another as so I've loved you. We see it here um, where he talks about this new command to love uh, as, as what obedience looks like. But this is interesting. I think to understand this, we need to go back and re- kind of review something that Jesus had said not that long before this, when he was in Jerusalem, uh, and many of you will be familiar with this passage, but we need to, kind of, let, me, let me just quickly throw it out there to give us the context. So one of the things, Jesus had once been asked uh, of all the commandments in the Torah, in the, in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses, and there were, according to the rabbis, 613 of them. So of all the commands, which is the greatest? And you may remember, he, he responded right away. He quotes from the Shema in, in uh, Deuteronomy 6, and he says the first command is to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, uh, all your soul. He says in the second one, and he quotes from Leviticus 19, is to love your neighbor as yourself. But then it's what he says next I want to highlight here for you. So there on your note sheet, you have that passage. And if you go down to the last sentence after giving these two commands, he says all the law and the prophets, which is a way of talking about The entire Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. In other words, what Jesus is saying is all the rest of the laws in the Old Testament, he said they're all really just a footnote or an explanation of what love for God or love for one another looks like. So, for example, think through... Um, think through the Ten Commandments. What does it look like to love God? Well, it means like having no other gods before me. It looks like no images that limit who I am, right? Um, it looks like um, honoring your father and mother. It's like these are things it looks like to, um, to love God, right? And so what does it look like to love one another? Well, it looks like um, if you love someone, you won't rip off their stuff, Hey, okay. think Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, right? If you love someone, you don't rip off their stuff. You also don't rip off their spouse. Okay? That's not love. It might feel like love, you might feel like you're in love, but it's not love. Right? Um, you don't rip off their life, right? Thou shall not murder. In fact, you don't even want to. Thou shalt not covet. See? So all the rest of the laws are just an explanation. Of what real love really looks like. And so, in that context, what, what's interesting today is that Jesus, what he says is there's a connection between this love for God and this love for one another. And he says, So what's he what's he telling? Let's let's look at our Bibles. Look at 15:9. Look at 15:9 again. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Right? So remain in my love. So he says, you need to, the first step is to love me, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remain in my love. He says, but then he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Can okay, we get that. But then in verse 12, he says, and my command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. So when we come to Jesus and we say, how do I abide in you? He says, you need to keep my commands, when we say, well, what does that look like? He says, it looks like living out a life of love for one another. There's a connection that we can't say, as John will say later in 1 John, we can't say we love God, who we haven't seen, if we don't love our brother and sister, whom we have seen. So if we're gonna abide in the vine, love is the priority, right? Now, of course, it's love as defined by the Bible, right? Not everything that would be called love today would be defined as love in the Bible because it's not everything we call love today would be positive or it would be, some of it would be destructive. Right? So uh, love is a priority. The third principle is that joy is the reward. So this is very counterintuitive. You know, even as, even if you've given your life to Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, so that by definition, Jesus has rescued you from the dark side. He's forgiven you of your rebellion. You've laid down your arms. He's now your king. Uh, He's given you the gift of his spirit to lead and guide and empower you to live a new life, to have the new DNA of Jesus. But even if that's true, that often in our life, especially when we're a younger believer and less mature, And by less mature, I don't necessarily mean something bad. Like we're all, when we're born again, we're all immature when we're born again, right? That it's as we grow, we mature. And so uh, that's kind of a natural process. But one of the signs of immaturity is that we see God's commands as restrictive instead of protective. One of the marks of maturity is as we grow up in Jesus our eyes are increasingly open that we see the commands of God really are an expression of love and they're not restricting us, they're protecting us. So so when we're less mature, when we think of the commands of God, we often think of them in a negative way. Like a command is something that God says we can't do that we want to do or something that we want to do but uh, that we, we don't want to do that we should do. Right, So we often see, when, when we're kind of a newer believer, more immature, that's how we see it. So I want to sleep with my girlfriend, and the command says, I can't, I hate that. Right? Um, I want to get back at this person that's hurt me, I want revenge, and Jesus, I can't do that. Right? Um, I want to hold onto all of my money, and Jesus says, I need to be generous, I don't want to do that. And so the the more immature we are the more we see the commands as limiting. The more mature we are it's our God begins to open up our eyes to see, hey, these really are protective. They're showing us the path to life. So it's interesting because when Jesus says, he says, "Hey, the key to remaining in my love is keeping my commands that there's times in our life we'll look at that and that'll feel restrictive." But Jesus says, no, 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 that my commands are designed to lead you to life. In fact, look what he says in chapter, uh, there on your note sheet, chapter 15, verse 11. He said, I've told you this, you know, all this thing about abiding and remaining in my love and obeying my commands, that's the the, this. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Amen. Amen? This is powerful. Jesus says, hey, this is why I've come in the world, to give you back your joy. This is why I've come. Remember what he said in John chapter 10? He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. You remember that? One of the marks of that that new life is joy. A joy that's not dependent on our circumstances, but it's dependent on our relationship, relationship of Jesus, this new love that we have for others, a whole new outlook on life, the future that he has planned for us. So Jesus says, the reason I've come is to give you back your joy. In fact, I want you to know my joy and I want your joy to be fulfilled. And so if you will stay abiding in me, if you stay connected with me, if you listen and follow my commands, if you learn to live out this life of love, it will lead you to joy. Amen. Amen? Beautiful, right? So three powerful life principles that if we were to really believe and embrace any one of these things, that obedience is the key, right? That um, that love is our priority in every situation, that joy is our reward. Any one of those interlacing principles um, can be Completely life changing. And here's what I want you to catch to the extent that we buy in, our life has changed. And in one sense, much of our growth as believers is our growth in believing that these things are true. Like the more we believe that obedience is the key to fruitfulness the more we will be fruitful and our life will be transformed. The more that we believe that love is our priority, the more joy we will have. You see, it's like it's a, there's sort of a, a, just a, a reciprocal relationship. The more that we buy in, the greater the life that we experience. Now, so what I want to do right now is just do a little bit of self-evaluation. Now, let me warn you, this is a time for you to be evaluating yourself, not the person next to you all right? So we need to take our elbows, get those elbow holsters out, right? And we're like, we're like putting them down. We got the straight jackets on. Uh, This is not the part of the service where you say, I am so glad that she is here and hearing this, you know? Like, oh my God, what an answer to prayer. I've been praying for that guy forever. I'm glad he's finally here. This is not for that. This is for each of us, all right? To do some self-evaluation. So here's the first question. Each of these questions will correspond to each of the life lessons. So first one is, are you listening and following? Are you listening and following? So, you know, here at Rocky Peak, we use that language of listening and following a lot, and I love that language, but the danger of using any language a lot is that sometimes you can forget what you're saying. So when we talk about listening, we're we're talking about this posture of going through life with our eyes on the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, my eyes, uh, my ears are open to you. Like, like, what do you want me to do? Like we're, this kind of our posture in life. I think of if you've ever been to a really nice restaurant, uh, it has to be pretty high end. But uh, if, if so, you may even have a dedicated waiter just for your table. And, and they're always, they're back away. Like you're not real aware of them, but they're super aware of you. And I mean, the minute your, your water glass is half full, they're okay, you know this? like, they are, they're, they're just, their eyes are on you. They're waiting on you. And, and sort of that posture, you know, that as followers of Jesus, that our eyes will be on him, that our ears are open. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me today? In this situation, I'm listening, right? And then, of course, following is that once he tells us what to do, that we, we do it. We're obeying. So when we talk about listening and following, it's a posture of, of kind of uh, eyes on him. And, and then it's, and following is following what he says, it's obedience. So the question is, are you listening and following? Now, here's the thing. In our lives as followers of Jesus, any religions like kind of like this, but um, in our relationship with Jesus, there's always a tendency, it's a natural human tendency, tendency to try to substitute something else for obedience, right? Well, there's this natural tendency to make some sort, to substitute some sort of sacrifice for obedience. So, for example, um, that rather than doing what God wants me to do, that sometimes our, what we'll try to substitute is participation. Like, I'm not obeying, but okay, I'll start going back to church more, uh, I, I'm not obeying, but uh, at least I'll go to a life group. I'll join a life group. Um, sometimes we'll try to substitute service. We're not obeying, but uh, I'll start serving. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll serve in middle school. Um, I'll serve in kids' ministry. I'll, I'll, I'll serve in uh, uh, babies, you know. I don't even like babies, but I'll, I'll, I'll take care of babies, you know. I'll go to Tanzania, Lord, you know. Like, I don't want to obey you, but I'll try, I'll substitute service. Sometimes we, we substitute giving. Well, I know I'm not really walking with the Lord right now, but at least I'm still tithing. Right? We're going to kind of, we're going to, it's almost like we have this balance between obedience and service. And so it's like when our obedience is, like, is, is getting kind of weak, we're like, well, what can I add uh, to my service or participation to kind of bring this scale back in line? Sometimes we do it with knowledge. That we're, you know, we're like our, the Holy Spirit's talking to us about our marriage, but instead of really listening, what do I need to do to humble myself and serve my wife or to make this marriage work, instead we throw ourselves into apologetics. We get really into apologetics or into some sort of theology as if as if like this, I'll, I'll grow in this way. You see what I'm saying? There's this natural tendency to substitute something else for obedience, but can I tell you, in the spiritual life, there is no substitute. In fact, in, uh, you know, earlier today we talked about Israel and we talked about uh, this, this uh, parable in Isaiah chapter 5 with the, the, the parable of the vineyard. And, and so, there, you know, that's, that's how Israel looks together, the vineyard that's not bearing fruit. They're, they're disobeying, right? But earlier in chapter 1, just four chapters earlier in chapter 1, guess what? God says, hey, you're all going to temple. You're all, uh, you're, and, and not like, you know, like uh, today Jews go to temp- temple, it's just mean like synagogue, but you know, the temple. You're going to the temple. You're offering sacrifices. You're burning incense. You're saying your prayers. And God basically says in Isaiah chapter 1 knock it off. I can't take it anymore. It's nauseating to me. I don't want your sacrifices. I'm tired of your incense. Stop your prayers. Even if you multiply prayers, I'm not listening. See, they were trying to substitute sacrifice for obedience, it never works. Earlier in, in Israel's history, the first king, King Saul, we won't go into the whole story, but there was a situation where God had been very clear with him about what he was supposed to do through the prophet Samuel. He'd given him specific instructions, but uh, but Saul began to panic, and instead he went ahead and disobeyed the Lord, and instead he offered him sacrifices to try to make it right. And when the, the prophet Samuel got there, this is what Samuel asked him. He says, does the Lord... Uh, Yahweh, does Yahweh delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in as, as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And so, when God is calling us to do something, there's nothing else that we'll do. There's no, no other kind of sacrifice, involvement, service, giving. Uh, You know, nothing else will, because the reason he's asking for what he is is that's what's holding us up. And if it wasn't, he wouldn't be asking us for it, right? That's what's holding up our transformation. That's what's holding us up from bearing fruit. And and so so nothing else will do. That's the plug that has to be pulled, I love what Oswald Chambers says there. He says, the golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters, it's not intellect but it's obedience. Obey God and the thing that he shows you, and instantly the next thing is opened up. God will never reveal more truth about himself until you've obeyed what you already know. If things are dark to us spiritually, it's because there's something we will not do. And so the question I'd ask for you is you've seen Jesus' vision for your life. His vision for your life, he chose you so that you would be fruitful. You'll be connected with him. Your relationship with him would be the most important relationship with, uh, in the world, that it would be the source of your joy, that you would be being transformed and changed. You'd be being used to, to do things that make a difference for eternity. This is his vision. And the question is, are you experiencing that in your life? And if not, then we need to go back to the, to, to the drawing board and say, Is there something that the Lord has talked to me about, either now or in the past, where I've said no and I've tried to substitute something for obedience instead? Number two, the second question is, Is love your top priority? So Jesus is very clear today. Twice he says, You know, the. This is my command that you love one another. So he said, the key to your abiding is your obedience. But the key to your obedience is your love as defined by scripture. He said that more than once. And so we saw it back in John chapter 13, there in your note sheet. You know, a new command that I've given you. You love one another. We saw it today here in your note sheet in 1512. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We see it in the last verse. It's not on your note sheet, but in 1517. This is my command, love each other. And so, so Jesus has, has been very clear about this, that if we want to abide in him, that we need to obey his commands. But our top priority is this command of love uh, to live out a life of love towards one another. In other words, we can't be abiding in the vine when we're not loving one another. And this is what Jesus says to, we, we've seen today how he combines these things. He says that we need to, re, to remain in his love, we need to obey his commands, but to obey his commands is to love each other. So it's impossible to remain in his love and not love one another. Um. And I think this is a especially important word for us at this time in our culture today. We live in a time of, uh, at least in my lifetime, almost unprecedented uh, cultural crisis, uh, a culture being torn apart, culture wars going on, and huge issues are at stake uh, as we move into the future. But often this, this conflict has not only been in culture, it's been in the Christian community. Like we've seen this the last couple of years, haven't we? Whether it's over, it, Christians attacking other Christians on what the Bible would define as secondary issues. We're not talking about, is Jesus king? We're not talking about salvation by faith alone. We're not talking about the authority of scripture. We're talking about secondary, very important issues. Don't get me wrong, very important issues, but secondary issues. Like, like what's a proper response to COVID? Right? Like, how, how should the government respond to COVID? What sort of mandate should it require or not require? Uh, masks, should we wear masks or not wear masks? Uh, vaccination, should we get vaccinated or we not get vaccinated? What about racial issues? What about critical race theory? How it's an appropriate response? And, and here's the thing, don't, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes when I talk about this, when I talk about secondary issues, people misunderstand. They think these issues aren't important. These issues are incredibly important. But according to Jesus, the way we abide in him is by loving one another. And what that means is we need to love and accept one another even when we disagree about very important issues they're secondary, right? Right? And so, but what 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 do we have? We have in the Christian community anti-vaxxers attacking vaxxers. Right? It's like are you, wait a second, are you both Christian? Yeah, we're both Christians, but for God's glory, we're going to fight it out. Right? So for the sake of the kingdom and all that's called holy, Uh, We are going to slander. We're going to misrepresent. We're going to do anything we can to win. We're not going to check our facts because we got to win this thing for the glory of King Jesus. (laughs) Can you see how messed up that is? you see that Jesus said that it's by bearing fruit that my Father will be glorified. And this is how you do it. You love one another even when you disagree about important issues. The irony is, sometimes in the name of loving God, we will slander or attack a brother or sister claiming it's for God. But look what John says in 1 John there in your note sheet. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a what? Liar. Boy, I wish he would just tell it the way it is. He just really soft-sells, you know? He's just like pandering to the crowd. Um, For whoever does not love their brother and sister, who is a vaxxer. Wait, 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 wait. Let me go back to the Greek. Uh, Whoever does not love their brother or sister, oh, who's an anti-vaxxer. That's like... whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And He's given us this command: anyone who loves God must also love the brother and sister. Brothers, it says there's some there's some very important issues that our culture is dealing with right now, and I I I have personally I have very strong opinions on them. Um. But what Jesus says to us is that when we're dealing in the body of Christ, that our first priority is to love and accept, respect one another, even when we think a person's dead wrong on a very important issue. And it's important for us to remember that for those outside the kingdom that would stand against everything that we would call holy, Jesus has told us to love our enemies, right? doesn't mean we don't stand. It doesn't mean we don't debate. It doesn't mean we don't uh, uh, kind of take a position for what's right. But whenever we step into the circle of hate, we are no longer loving our Father and staying divided. We have, we have stepped into the dominion of the evil one, and we've stepped into the dominion of using weapons of unrighteousness to fight a war for righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then I have one last question. The third question is, where do you look for joy? You know, Jesus has been telling us this entire gospel that he's come to give us life and life to the full, we've seen today that even though he tells us, we often have a reticence to embrace his command because we seem to believe that really the path to life and path to freedom, the path to fulfillment is in doing my own thing, not obeying someone else. Jesus keeps coming back and saying, no, I'm the light of the world. And the reason I've come is to light it up, to show you the path to life. And today he says it in a different way. So I've come that you might have joy, to restore your joy. But he says this, joy comes not by doing your own thing. Your joy comes by pressing into your relationship with me, making that your top priority, Uh, loving me, obeying me, living out a life of love. And as you do, you will begin to discover more and more the joy that I have and the joy that you are created experience. And so the question is, to what extent do we believe him? Where are we looking for our joy? Let's pray together. So Father, we come today once again to some beautiful teaching of your Son. We are so thankful for him, the light of the world that lights our path in the midst of a dark world. And Father, as we come today, these three life-changing principles, it's it's our obedience to you that is the key to our remaining in your love. It's It's our living out this life of love is the key to our obedience, and that it's staying connected and living out this life of love that leads to our joy. And so, Lord, we pray that as we grow in you, that you would have mercy on us. I pray that you'd open our eyes of our heart to see these things, to embrace these truths, that we might experience the life you've come to give us, and we might experience your joy and that ours might be full, and that through that, your glory, the glory of your Father, might be revealed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.